This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Well, with the threat of Title IX being amended and becoming a detriment to woman, would you fancy that? Uh, Riley Gaines is going to Capitol Hill today to testify before Congress to talk about why transgendered men do not belong in women's sports. Plus, our very own Clay Travis, he sat down with ESPN Stephen A. Smith and asked him all types of questions, including does he believe he is worth the massive paycheck he is getting from the worldwide leader of sports? All that and so much more. I'll kick the morning starts right now. Hello and good morning to each and every one of you. Happy Tuesday. I woke up this morning, had no idea what day it was. For some reason, I thought it was Wednesday, but no such luck. We're still only at Tuesday, but I feel like once the days start getting shorter, and like I mentioned yesterday, you wake up and it's dark, you get home and it's dark, uh, the days stop meaning as much, right? Uh, there's less time to enjoy. Uh, and we are heading towards the very shortest day of the year. I believe that's December 21st. Uh, and then things start getting better again. It's a constant wave that we're riding here in life. Uh, and on that note, everybody, welcome on into Outkick the Morning. I am your beloved host, Charlie Arnold. And let's get right into it. Um, I'm going to take you on a little history lesson right now, because when Title IX was established on June 23rd, 1972, it forever changed the future of girls and women in sports. It opened doors, it removed obstacles that would lead way to countless opportunities for high school-aged athletes all the way into the professional landscape and ensure that these girls and women received the exact same access to compete and achieve success as their male counterparts. Now, this includes equitable opportunities to play, scholarships in proportion with their participation, and equal access to facilities, which of course includes locker rooms. Well, now here we are more than 51 years later, and there is the risk of this groundbreaking law being altered in a way that, without a doubt, is going to harm female athletes. Now, backed by the Biden administration back in April, they proposed changes to Title IX aimed at preventing schools from categorically banning transgender students from playing on sports teams aligning with their gender identities. So, to put this in simple terms for you, if a biological man identifies as a female under the amending of this law, they would be allowed to play on the women's team, no questions asked. That is, if the school or university that they're playing for wants to continue receiving their federal funding, which of course they do. So this is bound to happen. Now, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to understand how detrimental this is to the rights of a female athlete, which is exactly why later today, 2 p.m. to be exact, Eastern time, Riley Gaines will be testifying before Congress to voice her extreme opposition to its amendment. By amending Title IX, which, again, was established in the first place to protect women in sports, there will be an instantaneous reduction in their ability to maintain the amount of opportunities and the level of success that they have enjoyed for the past half more than a century. So as we've already witnessed countless examples of, all it takes, and this is what we see time and time again, takes a mediocre athlete, a male athlete, 
to decide to identify as a female, a loophole in the system, if you will. And next thing you know, they're achieving all types of success. Because as we know, this is scientifically proven. Men are bigger, they are stronger, they are faster than women. And no matter how elite a female athlete is, let's just be honest, and this is not a knock on women, I do not take offense to this fact, there is an overwhelming likelihood that she will not beat a man. Records will be set in women's categories by trans athletes that will likely never be broken again in the future, unless it's by, of course, another trans athlete. And it's very sad, because the history books are no longer going to reflect women, despite the records being in women's sports. Not only is it shameful, this move is dangerous, because in the case of contact sports, there can be all types of horrible injuries. And we've already seen cases of women suffer terrible injuries like this at the hands of trans athletes. Oh, and let's not be remiss and leave out the privacy concern. With this amendment of Title IX, young girls and women will have no choice but to share their locker rooms with biological men. They will have to undress and shower among the opposite sex, which is, of course, a disgusting and sick thought. I have a tough time believing anyone who is presented with this can argue opposite of what I'm saying. It's a very obvious detriment to allow trans athletes to compete against females. So this is the moment in time when even though it's scary, I understand this, even though you might, for speaking out, be called hateful or a bigot, you have got to stand up and join the fight. Although fearless and strong people like Riley Gaines cannot do this alone. Unless you want to see the ruination of girls and women's sports forever, it is time to rally. Talk to your local school board or school district and demand that they stand up to this egregious amendment. Write a letter to your local politician. Encourage your daughters and sons to be brave enough to speak up also. We've come to a time when it's no longer okay to sit back and let our corrupt and delusional government rewrite history for their own self-serving purposes. Otherwise, it is just the very beginning of a slippery slope that will eventually do away with all the rights associated with real women and destroy the sanctity of what it means to be a real woman. And now, with the threat of the amendment of Title IX looming, let's dive into the legal side of all of this as we welcome in attorney Lexi Rigdon. Hello, Lexi. Good morning to you. Good to see you. Um, okay, so let's talk about the likelihood that this actually happens, because I just mentioned it. This would be a complete rewriting of history. More than 50 years ago, Title IX was put into place to protect women in sports, not just in sports. I mean, just to protect women, give them equal opportunity. Um, and in terms of sports, give them scholarships, uh, access to certain facilities that men already had. What's the likelihood of this actually going through and being amended to allow biological men to start now taking away these opportunities and successes from women? Well, I mean, I don't have a crystal ball, but it seems pretty likely. These have been these rules have been the proposed rule changes have been out there for a while now. And there's a lot of support. The Department of Education, the head of the Mayorkas, he actually supports transgender people playing the sport <clears throat> which they identify. And so if this does go through, it's important to remember that it is not just limited to college, that college obviously gets a lot of publicity, those athletics, because those are really competitive and they're high stakes and, and, and the competition is such that it demands 
attention and more coverage, obviously, but this is coming to a school near you because this, this law applies from also K to 12. And what the proposed regulations say is that while some college sports can be looked at on a case by case basis, it doesn't really say how I haven't, I haven't seen how that would be um, in terms of the age of the competitors and the type of sport. The, the rules basically say that a blanket prohibition on transgender students playing based on their gender identity for elementary school, for example, is pretty much not going to be allowed because what the regulations say is that when people are playing elementary school sports, they're not really doing it for the spirit of competition. They're doing it to participate, to meet new friends, to learn things. I I have a lot of friends who have kids that play elementary sports who would very much disagree with that, that their kids are doing this just sort of for the participation of it. And so this is not going to just be limited to college or high school. This is literally going to be, you know, your third grade girls, formerly all girls soccer team might now have a little boy on it. Yeah. And that's a scary thought because this doesn't just include what happens on the playing field, right? We're talking about the privacy that takes place in locker rooms right now. I mean, especially, I mean, I actually can't even say especially any girl, any woman, I don't care what age, I don't care if you're in third grade, I don't care if you're 50 years old, you shouldn't have to share the space where you're undressing and showering with someone of the opposite sex. Right. So what happens when boundaries are crossed and it's not just about, oh, I didn't win because a biological man won instead of me on the field. What happens when there are incidents taking place in the locker rooms and this this law is in place. Is there any type of protection now that these girls and women would have? Will they be able to take this into a court of law if something horrible happens? Or do they lose that right if Title IX is amend, amended to allow the opposite sex to play within women's and girls sports? This is going to be such a big change that it's no doubt going to be subject to litigation. Uh, obviously, criminally, if something happens to a girl in a locker room as a result of a biological male being in there and also civilly. And so this is going to unfold because this is a massive change. And so when there is new proposed legislation, once it gets enacted, there, there are going to be lawsuits interpreting the rules and saying what's allowed and what's not allowed. And so it really remains to be seen. But it's a huge problem here because I can't imagine girl moms, girl moms, why would, why would anybody want this? I mean, I understand that the people who would want this might be the transgender students and the parents of transgender students. And I mean, I feel bad for them. I understand that they're struggling with something. And in the, the greater world, if somebody says, you know, my name is Jane, but I want you to call me Joe, I'll do it. I don't care. That's not the issue, but the issue is protecting women and girls and girls sports and having women be able to have a safe place in a locker room. And the the delineation between man and woman is so um, that's that's who we are. And that's that's how you're born. And there's no black and white there. And to be able to say that based on how someone feels, they should be able to be in another person's locker room. I mean, then 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 you might as well strip the societal and social rules in every way, shape and form, because if how you feel controls where you are allowed to be, then, you know, I want to be. I want to go to the White House and take a listen to what's going on in there because I feel like I should be entitled to know. And I identify as somebody who needs to know. I mean, this the problem with this is, as you said in your opening, it's a slippery slope. Ten years ago, we weren't having this conversation. Now we're having the conversation about transgender students who are literally the biological opposite of the people they would be competing against 
competing. And my fear is that in 10 years from now, the language in these proposed regulations are not going to be, okay, maybe for the older ages and the more competitive sports, it's going to be case by case. 10 years from now, it's going to be no exceptions. This is just what it is. And there will be no more women's or men's sports. It will just be a bunch of people playing against a bunch of other people on teams and there will be no delineation. Yeah, and and this isn't, like we mentioned already, just limited to sports. Uh, Mm -hmm. Riley Gaines on June 21st in the Senate Judiciary Committee hearing had said the rewrite of Title IX is an abomination. It's equating sex to gender identity, which means men would live in dorm rooms with women. And she went on to say that men would have full access, like we've already talked about, to bathrooms, changing rooms, locker rooms. Men, as we've already seen them do, could join sororities. It's happening at the University of Wyoming. Men can take academic and athletic scholarships away from women. And Lexi, just to mention, you know, you said you feel bad for some of these children that are really struggling mentally uh, with their gender identity. And you know what? In some cases, I do as well. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, it's a lot of the parents that are polluting the minds of these kids. These kids, they're innocent. They're just trying to be children. Of course, confusion comes along with growing up. It comes along with growing up no matter what age you are. I'm, I'm, you know, a grown woman and I still have days when I wake up and say, what am I doing with my life? I mean, I'm not struggling with my gender identity, but still confusion is just a part of life. And I think mm-hmm. social anxieties just continue to get bigger and bigger as time goes on. And so a lot of the fingers need to be pointed at the parents and at the teachers who are purposely grooming these children to question their gender identities. And on the subject of you talking about, you know, a lot of the parents, you can't understand what parents would want their girls or young women, you know, who are their daughters to be involved, you know, in sports with with trans athletes. Unfortunately, I went out and, and I did a story on this earlier this year. And there are parents out there who said, what's the big deal? You know, A, some of them are just naive to thinking it's not happening as much as it is. But some of them say, who cares? What difference does it make? And I'm like, are you that, you know, oblivious to to realizing that that girls just aren't as, yeah. And nobody can really give a reason when you say, why should boys be able to compete in girls sports? They don't really have reason. They just say, well, it's not fair to exclude someone based on their gender identity. Okay, well, life's not fair. I mean, a lot of people who are well-functioning adults were taught that from a very, very early age. Life is not fair. So, you know, that's just something that if you're struggling with a gender identity issue, then you're just going to have to get used to, unfortunately, some some unfairness in life that everybody faces. Absolutely. Um, Let's move on to a story that has been grabbing headlines now for over a week. There was the nine-year-old Chiefs fan who had his face painted red and black. And because uh, initially he was only portrayed to have his face painted black, he was labeled as being in blackface and therefore a racist by one of the authors over at Deadspin, Karen J. Phillips. And now as a result, and even after the fact, this author doubled down on his remarks and the boy was painted in a horrible light. Of course, we have tons and tons of people rallying behind him and now condemning Deadspin for saying such a egregious and and race baiting thing to begin with. But now the family is saying that, you know what? We might sue. And I I think that they should sue. I thought that from day one, I I said, I hope that they retain the most powerful lawyer they possibly can. And they just sue Deadspin and its parent company into oblivion. Uh, But now it looks like 
they're catching on and they're realizing, you know what, maybe we do have a case here and one that can be easily won. What are your thoughts on this, Lexi? Defamation law is really, really nuanced. And so I know that the family did apparently retain a very high powered law firm to assist them who specializes in this type of thing. And so there are a lot of caveats here because we don't know whether it would be a federal case. We don't know whether it would be a state case. We don't know where the family lives, that thing. So we don't really know exactly what law would apply. But very generally, there's been a lot of argument on X about this. And what I find funny is that there was absolutely no nuance in Karen Phillips' story. He saw a kid who was clearly a kid. I mean, what was ridiculous about that article is that it said, is this kid slash teenager or young adult aware of what they're doing? Come on. Everybody who looks at that knows that's not a young adult. I took one look at that and I said, that kid's got to be 10 or less. And he's actually nine years old. So that was honestly, that was ridiculous. He knew damn well that was a child, but it, but he probably knew the backlash would be even worse if he, in the first instance, said that it was a child. But in any event, there was no nuance or anything granted to these photos. It was, he took one look at it and said, the kid is in blackface and he's offending two groups at the same time. But what's funny on the flip side is that there's all this nuance and there are people on X that are bending over backwards to defend this and are, you know, legal, legal scholars who, you know, are living in their mom's basement on X who are saying basically, well, you know, opinions can't be defamatory. And this was more of an opinion. And they're trying to ascribe a lot of nuance to this. And it is correct that opinions are not defamatory. So if somebody went on X and said, Lexi's stupid and she should never be on Outkick again, that's your opinion and you're welcome to it. But this goes a little bit farther. Not only did he say that the child was racist, which is an opinion and is probably not actionable, but he went a step farther in saying that he was in blackface. That is different. That is a factual assertion. So, you know, I can't tell you whether this is a, a slam dunk legal issue. I mean, there are there is so much law on defamation and it's very, very nuanced, the difference between fact and opinion. But, you know, for example, in the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard case, she didn't even name Johnny Depp in that article. And she said that she was basically a victim of domestic violence, never named him. And she got the pantsuit off of her. And then on the flip side, Johnny Depp's lawyer said that Amber Heard had perpetrated a hoax. And that was enough for defamation. While you could certainly make the argument that somebody saying it's a hoax is their opinion, much like saying that somebody is racist is their opinion. These are really, really fact sensitive. And so a court is going to have to uh, come down on this if it does. But what I have heard that the lawyers did is they first sent a letter demanding that Deadspin retract the article. And the only correction that Deadspin has done on the article is to put a note that says that while this child is part of a Native American tribe, that Native American tribe does not condone wearing headdresses. So they're capable of printing something as a disclaimer, but they have not done it in favor of the child. So it remains to be seen if the defamation claim holds any water. Another potential claim is false light, which is a little bit different and not every state has it, but it depends on the law that's going to be applied here. And false light is kind of like, it's similar to defamation in, in that there was damage to you as a result of publicity. But this is more like it was highly offensive. You were publicized in a fault light and it caused you emotional distress and damage as opposed to damage to your reputation. So I realize they're they're kind of similar, but they are distinct causes of action. I, I mean, I hope he would. I hope I hope he makes some headway against Deadspin because that was despicable. And even liberals think that that was despicable. That was a massive overreach. 
Yeah, and especially because as a journalist, you are held to a higher standard. Uh, you must be accurate. You must be unbiased. You must be ethical. None of which Karen J. Phillips was in making those remarks, in printing that article, and then, of course, doubling down. Uh, Lexi, thank you so much. I'm so grateful for your insight, your knowledge. I'm thankful you are not a legal analyst living in your parents' basement. <laughs> thank, thank God. <laughs> Thanks for having me. We'll see you soon. Uh, okay, everybody, let's move on, shall we? Uh, I've been doing a little thinking to myself. And from the information that I have gathered, really throughout life, there are generally only two reasons for a person to wear a ski mask. One, you're skiing. And two, you're committing a crime. As far as I know, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty positive there are no ski slopes in Philadelphia. But crime, oh yes, there is a lot of that. Uh, so maybe a reason why the Philly City Council is holding a vote this week to ban the wearing of ski masks in certain public spaces, with police saying it will help them solve more crimes. This bill allows the city to fine people $250 for wearing ski masks in parks, schools, and on public transit. Now, of course, there are exemptions for religious expression and First Amendment activities like, get this, protesting. Of course there are. Of course there's an exemption for protesting because all these idiots out here who are protesting don't want people to know their identities. Uh, but that's a subject for another day. Now, the ACLU, obviously against this ban on ski masks, saying it could infringe on free expression rights and be misused by officers to frisk pedestrians. Uh, I don't think it would be misused. I think it would be used appropriately. And that's the exact reason the ACLU doesn't want this ban to go through. But listen, I'm not the only one with opinions around here. Let's bring in Mike Gunzelman, because I know he's always got one. Yeah. <laughs> there he is. Mike Gunzelman, the big guns. Uh, what do you think? I am all for the banning of ski masks in public places in Philly, because I think that when I've seen a lot of videos on social media happening, like especially when there was that massive riot. Remember the, remember the meatball girl oh, that oh, night? Yeah. Oh, to be I know exact. all about meatball. All of, these, all of these people wearing the <laughs> ski mask, the different masks. And, and we know why you're wearing it, wearing it. It wasn't even cold out that night, if I can recall. Uh, I think it was like right on the, you know, the front end of fall. So uh, no need for a ski mask. And they certainly all weren't getting together for one massive ski trip, right? Guns, what are your thoughts? It's funny. You brought up the ski mask and there, you know, it's most likely either you're on a, on, on a ski slope or you're committing a crime. It's the same <laughs> thing. If I see somebody using a payphone, I'm like, that person is definitely doing a drug deal in the year 2023. That, that is a ransom call. <laughs> yes, yes. That's, there is something shady going on if you're using a payphone in the year 2023. Um, Charlie, I, I hear what you're saying, but I kind of disagree with the aspect about uh, the the ski mask. Now, sure, logically, it would make sense. Like, hey, you know, why don't we just get rid of this? But I don't trust the political leaders. I don't trust Philadelphia. I don't trust New York. I don't trust L.A. I don't trust Chicago. 
I think that they should get their act together themselves rather than go and put in excuse, a reason, a, a, you know, kind of they're excusing their own incompetence by blaming a ski mask. Like, hey, maybe it's not the ski mask. Maybe it's your own policies. Philadelphia, for example, has a no cash bail um, enactment that's been going on for years now. That means that for pretty much all misdemeanors and a good amount of felonies as well, those people might not even have to pay cash. They might not even have to pay bail to get out. So it's more so a systemic issue, a systemic problem than being like, oh, it's the ski masks. Year to year, homicides are up 27%. If people are going to commit crimes like that, they don't even need a ski mask. That doesn't mean that you need to take away ski masks from everybody. I think, and I don't, I think that it's it's a larger issue than just putting the blame on the ski masks, especially. This argument's got fallacy involved in it because you're still allowed to have it when you have protests. So if you're going to go all in, it has to be all in or nothing. Okay, and that's where my big issue comes here. I don't always agree with the ACLU. I think there's sometimes there's definitely an agenda behind some of what they say here. My bigger issue is that our leaders, the mayor, the DAs, these rogue judges, these crazy ass prosecutors, they are the problem. How about you lock up people that do crimes? How about you start at a young age so they don't think that they can go in and ransack a mall or a Nike store or Lululemon like we saw a couple of weeks ago with Meatball and the rest of them and the city went on fire? How about you stop crime at a young (laughs) age and show that actions have consequences, whether you wear a ski mask or not? Yeah, and I honestly, as much as I can get behind the ski mask ban, it's just such a hard, it also is a very tough thing to enforce, right? Like, anybody who has a ski mask on can argue, oh, it's a freedom of expression. Or, oh, I'm, I mean, how easy would it for me to to make up, oh, I'm, it's my, it's a part of my religious beliefs. I mean, I feel like you could just make up a religion on the spot. I I believe I'm in the ski mask religion. I'm in the ski okay. mask religion where we must wear ski masks. It's a made up religion that I just created right now. And you can't tell me that I'm wrong. Otherwise, you're infringing on my First Amendment rights. Uh, so, yeah, maybe not so uh, feasible. Not a ban. But I right. like the yeah, thought behind it. I, I like at least. Yeah, I like at least that they're they're heading down this direction of trying to give criminals less tactics in order to commit their crimes. But, yeah, of course, we need we need bigger things to happen at the end of the day. Right. Um, Absolutely. All right. Speaking of tactics, Bud Light, they are engaging Emmett Smith, my guy, Peyton Manning. I mean, it's tough for it's tough for me to to say no when Peyton Manning tells me to do something uh, They're You know, engage them. They, they launched this big commercial on behalf of their product uh, leading up to Super Bowl. Uh, this is a way to encourage customers to get back on board and buy Bud Light. Is this going to work? I mean, Bud Light is is still, from what I am aware of, not really experiencing much of a turnaround after partnering with UFC, which doesn't kick in till early 2024. So maybe we'll see more of the fruits of that partnership in the upcoming months. Uh, but so far, people are, from what I gather, they're not jumping right back on to buy Bud Light. Uh, again, I mean, it's kind of like one of those low budget beers. So I don't know how many people really missed Bud Light so dearly, right? Like, oh my gosh, thank God I can finally buy Bud Light again. Uh, but do you think that this commercial is going to have any effect? Uh, absolutely not. 
Like, no. I mean, I love I love Peyton. I love the Manning cast. I watched the Manning cast. Peyton Manning, I think, and Eli are, are a great duo as far as brothers go. And uh, yeah, gonna, you know, great. I can see them hosting award shows together. They're only going to continue uh, growing, and uh, it's going to be great. But uh, are Peyton Manning and Emmett Smith going to be the voice of change across America for when it comes to alcohol? Absolutely not. You need somebody like a more party type thing that's going to bring them in. And listen, I never called for nobody to stop drinking Bud Light. But the fact is that, um, you know, I'm not a big fan of cancel culture whatsoever. I'm more of a free market capitalist. If you don't want to do it, hey, actions have consequences. Okay, you're seeing what happened. Um, But the the issue that we're seeing right now is it it went beyond just just a single act it was the doubling down it was the defiance it was oh it's just a marketing blunder and they're now they're just trying to keep they're chasing 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 and in the world of social media and the world of everything technology and how we deal today with the internet remaining undefeated for the most part it's so hard to come back when you've already done something in the eye of a social media generation, or at least, um, you know, when everything can go viral left and right. Um, it, 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 this going to help? Uh, maybe. Like, I, Bud Light, it's not like Bud Light's not going to be at certain sporting events or anything like that. They're too big to do that. Now, will perhaps there be less of Bud Light and instead you go with like a Budweiser or Bud Heavy or a different, uh, you know, a different brand? Um, I, possibly. Um, should people be not drink Bud Light? Like, who am I to say yes? Who am I to say no? I mean, to each their own. What's happening, though, is there is a stigmatism attached to Bud Light. Um, it, it's when I was growing up, it was a thing against like Mountain Dew. And it was almost like, oh, dude, you're drinking Mountain Dew. Like, it's almost like you're getting uh, like there is definitely something there for some people that truly do believe this, where it's just like, oh, that guy's drinking a Bud Light. And that's hard to overcome that stigmatism. And that's what Bud, Bud Light has an issue with. Anybody with a brain that I I always find this kind of funny and I've written about this and and argued about it as well. You might not want to drink Bud Light because you're going to show them a stance, but a lot of those people are going to then drink Michelob Ultra, which is owned by the parent company still. So you're not really even affecting the bottom line when it comes to the company shares overall. Sure, they felt a dip, but Michelob Ultra now is seeing a dramatic uh, spike in purchases. So the bottom line is for those that make the matter, you know, that matter, um, you know, it, it's not the, you know, the Bud Light people, you know, that are the delivery people, the workers, et cetera, they're being affected, unfortunately. But the, you know, the CEOs, the executives, as long as Michael Labolta and these other beers are selling, that's all they really care about. It's the bottom line right there. The bottom dollar, I should say. Can you hear me? I hear you now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've been like yelling your name for two minutes. Oh, I didn't hear um, anything. Oh, I know. I didn't. I've just been ranting. No, I know. I was like, I don't think he can. I don't think he can, yeah, I know. I was like, I don't think he can hear me. I was like, he's on a very impassioned rant right now, though. So maybe it's hey, best managed. that I don't interrupt this monologue. Uh, <laughs> no, but I I have I have to go back because I the the Mountain Dew thing. What do you mean? Where people were judging you for drinking Mountain Dew back in the day? That was a thing? Yeah, so there was uh I feel like a lot of my generation, there was a rumor going around, these are rumor days before social media, really, that if you drank Mountain <laughs> Dew, that it would uh have an effect on uh on a guy's part, so like nobody would wait. Be yeah, wait. I wait. I remember this. Wait, what was? <laughs> wait, wait. Be more specific. What was the? Because uh, I remember this now. What there was it be, uh, said to have uh, done? It was because I. 
Your bas- <laughs> your basketballs would have been deflated a little bit if you would. Uh, if you were oh drinking Mountain Dew I back totally in the day. I totally remember this. No, it's the same exact thing. It's like, yo, you, you just got a, you got a Mountain Dew during <laughs> lunchtime? Are you kidding me? It's that same kind of like thing. Oh my God, that's so funny. Well, that's what they say to vegans now. You're like, oh, you're eating Beyond Meat. Oh, say goodbye to everything manly about you. Uh, <laughs> okay, let's go to our last topic. Uh, Clay Travis had the opportunity to interview Stephen A. Smith from ESPN. Of course, I don't even need to intro Stephen A. Smith. Everyone in the world who knows anything about sports knows who he is. And he got very candid with him, asking him a question uh, that Stephen A. did not hesitate to respond to. So let's give that a listen and then react. And I always say I root for everybody in media to make more money on each new contract, just like probably every starting quarterback in the NFL roots for the guy Mm -hmm. whose contract's up to make more. Heck, I hope you get uh, unbelievable numbers. I hope I pick up the newspaper. I still like to read old school newspapers. I see how much money you got. Is it important to you based on the way the first time ended at ESPN that you are the highest paid person on ESPN given the work that you're doing for them? Do you think that should be the case? Yes. I'm not stuttering. Hell yes. That's absolutely true. I've mastered my own business. In the world of sports television, Clay Travis, I've been number one for 12 years. Come April 1st, we mark yep. 12 consecutive years, I've been number one. And not only have I been number one every year, I've been number one every week and every month of every year for the last 12 years. You don't get to say that about too many people. Um, I look at whether it's Pat McAfee, it's Mike Greenberg, it's Scott Van Pelt, it's Troy Aikman, it's Joe Buck, it's Kirk Herbstreet, the list goes on and on. I'm so honored to have the colleagues that I have that I work with at ESPN every day. And at the end of the day, it would be nice for one day for this man to stand before everyone and be like, this is not, I'm number one, and this says I'm number one. Now, one would argue that that may have been the case years ago before because I got my money and then Troy Aikman, I'm sorry, not Troy Aikman, but Tony Romo got his from CBS or whatever the case may be. But I'm not just a talent. I'm a business. I have my own production company. Like you said, I've got my own YouTube channel. I've got my own show. It's not even just a podcast. It's a show with a fully loaded television studio. That's what I built for myself. You know, that can go linear or digital. The list goes on and on. I'm doing all of these things. I'm not doing all of that to be in second place. I'm not doing all of that to look up at somebody else and see that they're making more than me when I'm producing superior ratings and revenue. No, I'm not doing that. And I'm not apologizing for anybody for it. So it's not, um, I've been treated incredibly well by ESPN. I expect to continue to be well treated well by ESPN. Again, I've got great relationships and what have you, but this is a business and Disney has a right to run its business the way it sees fit. ESPN does as well, but if they do, so do I. I hope that we're able to work it out. I'm confident that we will because I'm incredibly happy there. But we'll see. Outkick the morning. We'll be right back after a short break. Stay tuned. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. 
And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, you can catch that full interview with Clay Travis and Stephen A. Smith dropping today, 11 Eastern, on everywhere that you get your OutKick shows. Okay, Guns, Clay asked the question, do you think you're worth being the highest paid man at ESPN? And just like that, Stephen A. Smith said, yes, I did not stutter. No hesitation with that response. And then he went on to explain exactly why he is worth the money that he is and the value that he brings to the table. I agree with Stephen A. Smith. I think that the value he brings to ESPN is far more. I mean, there are a few others. I mean, I think Pat McAfee since coming has brought tremendous value, but I look at how long Stephen A has been there and I think about if Stephen A weren't to be there, what would happen to first take? The show wouldn't happen anymore. I mean, first take would have to go away. It it wouldn't even be good if Stephen A wasn't on on a regular basis. You you can have the fill-ins all you want. It's not the same show. It's not going to happen. You look at what he contributes to different sports center episodes. Uh, You look at NBA countdown. Uh, You look at the value he brings to so many different brands on their platform and I just don't see them having the, the riz, if you will, uh, that they would without him otherwise. Uh, for people out there, riz is the new hot word. Uh, it's based on charisma, but uh, it's the, the Gen Terrible. Z slang, so I'm, I'm just trying to get there. Um, so anyways, yeah, I, I, I agree with Stephen A. Smith, and I know that he has his sight sets on building his empire even more. I know that he wants to be kind of a Steve Harvey type guy, have his hands in a lot of different pots, uh, doing more than just sports on ESPN. He wants to be an actor. He wants to be a performer. He wants to have his own empire. I mean, almost like an Oprah-esque type person. Uh, And I think that he's already laid the groundwork to do that, building his production company. ESPN already has their hands in a little bit of that. Uh, But I think his contract, from what I'm aware of, I think it's up in the next year or so. Right. And so I think ESPN, if they want to retain him, what Stephen A wants, Stephen A is going to have to get. What are your thoughts here? I mean, shocker. Stephen A. Smith, of all people, thinks that he's the best. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, who would have thought that Stephen A would think that Stephen A is the best? I definitely agree with you here. Everything that you mentioned, Ed Moore, I mean, they put him on. He could talk boxing. He's talking baseball. It's Stephen A. Smith. You go to him because he's going to have a damn opinion on on every single thing. And when you compare what he's getting or what he most likely might get, I mean, Mad Dog Chris Russo, right? Dog gets $10,000 an episode for first take. $10,000 alone for that, okay? Just for a first take episode, that's what he's getting. You see McAfee, five-year, $85 million uh, that they got. So Stephen A. Smith's going to get big money. All right. If ESPN wants to keep him, he is going to demand big money because why not? Because... He can be frustrated. If anybody knows Stephen A. Smith, I used to work with them back in the radio days. He can not, uh, you know, he can be a frustrating person as well. So it's like, do you really want to play hardball with Stephen A. Smith? Who, you know, when you think of ESPN, you do think of Stephen A. Smith. And why is that? Because there's so many other hacks and mouth breathers across that network that can't even like <laughs> hold up to him on the on, on a minuscule scale, if you would. So he's going to ask for the bank. And ESPN better give it to him because I love McAfee, longtime fan of McAfee since it's Indianapolis, uh, Indianapolis days. He can do a lot, 
But listen, Matt V can't be everywhere. Stephen A. Smith mm-hmm. seems like he is everywhere already. So um, they need Stephen A. Smith. They're going to have to pay the man, though. They are going to have to pay Stephen A. Smith because he wants historic numbers. Yeah, and not to mention Pat McAfee, although very talented, on his show, of course, draws in massive numbers. He's not a one-size-fits-all plug-in guy like Stephen A. Smith is on right. that on that network. Uh, Pat McAfee, already, he might not even be a part of game day in the future. Uh, so where does that leave him? It leaves him with the Pat McAfee show, which he is perfect for. I mean, that's his brand. He created it. But Stephen A. Smith... The same cannot be said. You put him anywhere, he's going to attract extra eyeballs and bring a little bit of that extra oomph that you're not going to get from a lot of other hosts or contributors. So uh, I I don't know what's going to happen. I think Stephen A. is going to have a monster deal. I also think there's going to be a lot of extra things that are agreed to in his contract. I'm allowed to do this. I'm allowed to do this. Things that wouldn't be allowed for most normal talent because they would be conceived as competitive. Would you be be shocked? And maybe even— Would you be shocked, you know, because they're owned by Disney, like, you know, if he's on like ABC for the New Year's Eve ball, like, you know, so I can totally see Stephen A. Smith doing something for New Year's Eve, you know, for their ABC New Year's Eve, whatever type of celebration. Maybe not hosting the whole thing, but I can see them going to Stephen A. Smith in Times Square. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, This will be interesting to see how it all plays out. But uh, awesome get. For Clay Travis, of course, again, like I mentioned before, entire interview dropping in a couple of hours, 11 a.m. Eastern, uh, anywhere you get your Outkick shows. And this is just one great soundbite from Stephen A. Smith. There are lots more where that came from. Uh, again, excellent interview by Clay. So, Guns, thank you so much. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to say goodbye to you because I have to say goodbye to everyone else in just about 30 seconds. So, thanks so much for your time. See ya. Thanks, Charlie. <laughs> Peace. Peace out, my guy with the Riz. Uh, We're going to get into more of the words that are uh, flooding our dictionaries these days, (laughs) thanks to the Gen Zs. Uh, They're all very interesting. Uh, I can only imagine one day we will have a language where we're just talking in shorthand. And we're going to just sound like aliens. The aliens are going to come to Earth and be like, what the hell are you talking about? It's going to be like a code language. It's going to be very weird. It's going to get very weird. Everybody. Everybody. I've got to say goodbye to you. We are all out of time, but fantastic show on deck for you tomorrow. So in the meantime, go do all the things that I normally tell you to do. Follow me on social media at the very least at Charlie on TV. And with that, I will say goodbye as we get it together for Tuesday. Have a good one, everyone.